0: Good afternoon and thank you for joining me again for Business, the Law and You. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later in the program, we'll have a look at a Harvard Business Review tip. This particular one is leaders win trust by not hiding their doubts. We're also going to have a chat with uh, Christina. We're going to look at a couple of... uh, Well, we're going to look at where innovative products come from, some of the ideas uh, in the past and and the present. But right now we're going to uh, cross over and have a chat with uh, accountant Tony Vidray. Good afternoon, Tony.
1: Good afternoon, Gillian. How
0: are you? I'm very well, thank you, and thanks for joining us. And we've got some uh, hot news, I believe. uh, As of 12.30 yesterday, the Treasury Law Amendment was passed.
1: It was now. I know everyone was waiting with bated breath around twelve twenty-four. <laughs> this particular um, met this particular bill um, passed the um, the Senate, um, and um, it still needs to go through the House of Reps and get royal assent. But uh, uh, from what I'm reading, everyone's saying that that's just a mere formality. This particular bill is the one that finally approves single touch payroll um, applying to all um, businesses. So. If you've been living under a rock and you're, you're in business and you don't know what, what this is, um, single-touch payroll came in um, effectively from the 1st of um, July, 2018, and it applies to uh, employers that have 20 or more employees. They still hadn't got around to passing the legislation to make it apply to everyone else. So now it is, uh, as Paul Keating used to say, L-A-W, it's now law. So it's come in if you're an employer um, you've pretty much got seven months to, uh, to get your act together to start reporting from the 1st of July 19 um, to the tax office. So what that essentially means is that when you process a pay after the 1st of July 19, you pay your employees, give them the pay slips, do all those sort of things, but then also electronically you'll be needing to report the details of that pay um, to, the, um, to the tax office. Um, electronically. So the ATO are sharing that information with Centrelink, so um, gone are the days or soon to to be gone are the days where you'll have to keep providing payslips and information of how much you've earned um, to Centrelink, that all government agencies are going to be able to share that data in real time. So you're going to have a, you know, it's almost having your year-to-date payslip online that pretty much every government agency will be able to access. Isn't
0: that fun? And I suppose uh, the tax office over the next, well, hopefully over the next couple of months, will be working on a simple way for the lot, these very small businesses to be able to do this reporting
1: it amazing you know it was only passed yesterday afternoon around lunchtime as we just said already this morning i've received three unsolicited emails from software providers that are just saying you know we'll look after your single touch payroll um uh, for uh, for all of your um all of your clients so um i think it was last month that we were talking that um the tax office did call for a low cost um product for those micro businesses that are defined as having one to four employees yeah. um and um you know, I, I got the list, and essentially the list is all the major players. You know, mm. it's Myob, it's Zero, it's QuickBooks, it's it's all of the major players who who are still going to be in the market um, to to charging. So again, to me, the way that those guys price their, their products, they they have a low low cost option. Um, you know, they'll have software that up to, you know, one employee, two employees, and then as soon as you go over that, you then go to a um product. So I think they'll do a very similar thing. If you've got one to four employees, um, they'll offer you one pricing structure as soon as you go over, you, you, they upgrade you to their. their um, their bigger um, product,
0: their more expensive product. So you don't think it will be as simple as the tax office itself having something where people just go in and, um, if, as I say, if you've got one employee or two, like myself, I, you know, I'm, I'm a, a company and I'm the employee. So uh, really, you just punch. I've only got to punch in two bits of information that that week or that month.
1: Yeah. Well, again, um, they they did have that and they uh, they still do have that for um, their super clearinghouse yeah. where you can yeah. go on and report that. Yeah. This part of it, I, I just know that they have, they have asked external software providers to come up with the software. So,
0: okay.
1: um, I don't think that they're gonna have a platform on their, on their website. I, I wait and see. Yeah, we'll mm. wait and see. It, so, it's gonna create a lot of logic problems. There's, there's still some teething problems, um, around internet access, you know, mm. um, live reporting. What happens if you don't do it live? How can you, if you make a mistake, can you go back and amend? Um, you know, it, it's, it, there's an enormous set of headaches around all of this. And if you think, if you go back, um, the number of employers that have 20 or more employees are numbered around 70,000 in Australia. So they're all, you know, ticking away. They're all
0: they doing okay.
1: Reporting, they're, they're reporting live because look, their computer systems are bigger and they use special software, mm, and mm, you know, they're, mm. they're fine. When from the first of July 19, it's estimated that a, another Seven hundred thousand businesses are going to jump on reporting wow. this information. So, look, the ATO have said, and and give credit where credit's due. They're not going to hit over the head everyone over the head with a big stick um, from day one. It's more, you know, the first year or so, it's more around education and, mm. and um, rather than enforcing compliance. But there will come a day where I'll say, well, you know, everyone else is everyone else is doing it, so why aren't you? So it'll come a day where they will start to um, to enforce their. Um, you know their electronic um reporting of this these sort of things
0: and in the uh, treasury law uh, amendments yesterday they also in, had other things related to superannuation
1: they yeah they did yeah you know, one thing I could, I've never been able to understand with, with governments and and the way they do this they whenever they they pass one of these things they always seem to staple it with about seven or eight other other things and if there's you know if you're in opposition and you and you pretty much like six of the seven things but you don't like the seventh one. They end up knocking out the whole bill. They just, no, mm. it, they don't, yeah, they don't vote on them separately. They, they don't seem to, to carve them up. So yeah, this particular one was bundled into to some other measures. One that really caught my eye, which is interesting, and that is, it's going to enable the Commission of Taxation to issue directions to employers um, to pay unpaid superannuation guarantee and undertake superannuation guarantee education courses. Now that's a real interesting one. So, mm. right now, if you have your own self managed super fund and say you breach your rules, um, we had one um, about a year or so ago where the ATO came along and they actually decided to send this person back to superannuation school, super mm. school. Mm. And so he had to sit down and do an online course, answer, you know, read through the material. Um, and then sit through a multiple-choice question. And then he had to submit those answers to this particular tax officer to prove that he had um, done so. If, if And if he didn't do it, they were going to disqualify him from acting as the director of a trustee company mm. that acted as, as trustee for a uh, super fund. So, so the powers are there at the moment to, to force people who have their own super funds to do these education courses. This is now going to extend to... Every employer, uh, what is it, seven, what do we count, 770,000 that, yeah. employers, if you don't pay your super guarantee for your employees, you may be sent off to some sort of education, cool. um, schooling, to, to, learn your, um, to learn your obligations.
0: Wow, great. Well, thanks for your time again, uh, Tony, and thanks for uh, being with us for the uh, year of 2018. And uh, have a good Christmas, and we'll be talking to you again in the new year, probably about what we've just been speaking about.
1: Wonderful. Thanks, Julian. And it's been a pleasure, and I hope you all have a uh, happy and safe uh, festive year as well.
0: Thank you. Bye-bye.
1: See
0: ya. Tony Pidray, there, helping us to understand those uh, amendments that were passed yesterday, and we just wait to see whether it goes through the House of Rep, and then how are we going to enact it? You're listening to Business, the Law and You on 2NURFM. It's just gone 23 minutes past one. Time to pop over and have our chat with Christina. Good afternoon, Christina.
2: Good afternoon, Julian. How are you?
0: I'm well, thank you. Thanks for joining us again. So we're going to have a look at innovative products, but particularly where do some of these ideas come from?
2: I know, and at at some point I know we've had conversations um, around comments like, where is your crazy ideas department? How is it that you come up? with the next biggest ventures you know how do you how do you formulate those ideas that go on to be absolutely incredible products and i was at the out at the Mater hospital earlier um, this week and i was reading some of the stories that they have up there and some of the the apparatuses from the 1800s you know and you can actually mm. see how see the development of, of where technology has taken us in how people used to do things and how we do them now. And one thing in particular caught my eye because they were at one point using cane toads as a pregnancy test. So the urine from the patient was injected subcutaneously, um, onto the dorsal surface of the toad. Now this is before all the ethics things came in about how mm-hmm. we treat animals and everything, right? So, and I'm a vegetarian, so I'm not, I'm not saying let's go back and do anything like this, but this was an interesting, um, progress. So after some hours, the toad's urine was examined for spermatozoa. And if they were present, then that meant that the person He's whose pregnant. urine was injected was pregnant. So we had this system where cane toads were being used to suggest whether females were pregnant or not. And I'm looking at it going, where did that crazy idea develop from? What was the process that led somebody to think that they could possibly, you know, progress this test
0: mm. to come up
2: with something like that? Mm. So let's leave cane toads and urine, you know... Back, back in the back, 18th back in the century. <laughs> <laughs> they, they actually came... It was first done in around the 30s. Okay. Um, the information I was reading was around the 50s. But let's come, like, back up into, into present day. Uh, one of the new technologies that, that's being um, examined right now is that, so we used to use polygraph tests, right, to say whether somebody was lying or not
0: based mm. on physiological mm.
2: responses, you know, what was happening, but there was this whole unreliability around it and prone to bias. What's happened now, there's a startup that believes they've invented a better alternative and they've called it I Detect, as in E-Y-E detect. Uh, and it uses machine learning to analyse tiny, tiny changes in, in the subject's pupil dilation and the reaction time and it allows it to guess whether people are fibbing or not. So it's wow. much cheaper than a polygraph test, uh, and it's it's kind of, you know, it's it's almost instantaneous, uh, and they're saying that it's going to become, and again, we've been talking about, you know, demonetizing things. The more common this thing becomes, um, the less it's going to cost. Yeah. But
0: Anything but, on the accuracy of it?
2: Uh, well, the accuracy at the moment is about 86%, but okay. they're improving that all the time. Uh the testing people themselves, like the people who are testing their own product, uh, have actually gone down to around 50% accuracy, but the generic testing is 86%. So what that says to me is that these guys are being really hard on their own product, plus because they know it so well, I guess they're, they're coming in right underneath at the source um, to say whether the stories are true or not. But the more, the more information you feed into it now, and I think we've discussed before that AI learns from itself and yeah. every other form of AI around. So the more tests that get done in various different countries, the more information gets fed in, the more accurate it becomes. Right. Mm-hmm. But we did have the conversation about um, how there were there were face facial images, facial recognition that said whether you're, what your chances were of becoming a criminal, um, and it discriminated against age and race. So we're still this is still in the in the um, early days in the testing stages. Yeah, but if we remember how accurate the the eye information is, there's some real amazing progress that can be made on that. The other thing I I was reading about this week that kind of blew my mind a bit was um, where furniture, uh, so they're calling it robo-furniture, and it's where furniture kind of morphs itself. So it's kind of things like, you get out of your king-size bed in the morning and all of a sudden your king-size bed morphs into an upholstered couch. Yeah. Um, and then there's also a massive potentially walk-in closet that then turns into a study workspace. Uh, and it was kind of the thing that happened, you know, as you walked through in a sci-fi movie, you would see the rooms changing, um, changing format. But these people, they're Boston-based uh, and they're calling themselves robotic interiors. And they're looking at. Um, they, they actually had their first fully automated, automated home around the end of 2017, and they called it the Studio Suite. Uh, and that was where you know bedrooms transformed into offices, transformed into living rooms, etc. And it was done on a single touch, single command, um, and it was almost like you had all these shape shifting things that were going on. So what's wow. happening out there is is that going back to the crazy ideas department, and going back to where on earth did you formulate the idea that you could use a cane toad and a urine sample to get a to get a pregnancy, pregnancy diagnosis? Yeah. You know, all these things require is somebody to go, "What if?" And then it becomes into how do we then do it? Uh, and then it becomes a, a practice of yes, this is worth pursuing, and putting a team behind it, um, and That's amazing things are possible. Yeah, yeah absolutely.
0: Great. great. Well, thanks for your time again, Christina. We'll have a chat with you next week.
2: Look forward to it, Julian.
0: Have a great week. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.
2: Bye.
0: Christina there with, well, yeah, where do some of these crazy ideas come from? But uh, we've got a lot of good stuff comes out of it too, don't we? Time for one of our Harvard Business Review tips. This particular one is leaders win trust by not hiding their doubts. Leaders have been trained to hide vulnerabilities, to minimise risk and to be consistent, level-headed and in complete control at all times. But it's impossible to trust someone who is always rational, serious and in control. If you want to win trust from your employees, colleagues and bosses, you need to have the courage to present yourself as a more complex being. This means becoming comfortable with expressing doubt. Smart leaders know there is more than one right answer, and so even after uh, commit to a decision, they're not afraid to revisit and change course if necessary. You should adopt the strong opinions, weakly held mantra, especially when you're trying to navigate complex and uncertain situations. Don't focus so much on always being a visionary, instead, trying to be more human. Express doubt. Ask for contrary options and be willing to change your mind several times if necessary. Some interesting points there, isn't it? From a lead, uh, a book by leaders win trust when they show a bit of humility by Tim Lebskret. Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. We've looked at the fact that the uh, Treasury laws were amended yesterday, or they passed the Senate. Uh, and just needs the Royal Stamp of Approval, um, which will probably happen, which extends that single-touch payroll, particularly for the 700,000 businesses out there that will be required to do it from the 30th of June. In a moment, Jane Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we're going to talk about Leave for Casual Employees with lawyer Gavin Hanrahan. We'll have our minute on innovation with Christina and we'll have some more business and legal news and views that might affect your business. I'd love your company again for business and law and you next time at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week and as Aristotle Anassus once said, The secret to success is to know something nobody else knows. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.